Now, let me get into the, the sermon for today. So we're finishing our series. This is week 12, uh, and the final week of our series called The Things of the Spirit. And we've been doing this deep dive into the person and work of the Holy Spirit. You know, God, our church is called Trinity, right? God is three persons in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that, that Holy Spirit guy, like, what's he all about? What's going on with that? Like, we, we, we're on this big journey of learning what does the Bible actually teach us about the third person of God. And so, quick recap forgive me, I've already done this every week and you'll be tired of this. Oh, Matt, why repeat it all again? But just for the new people, if you're here for the first time, just so you can go back and listen to any of these if you're interested in doing so. We started off week one with 10 works of the Spirit. That was kind of foundational for us. Then we looked at uh, God's relational presence throughout the Bible. Uh, Then we started looking at spiritual gifts. We looked at the gift of prophecy. Then we started bundling some gifts together. Um, We looked at exhortation, wisdom, and knowledge. Then we Uh, The next week, we looked at um, faith, miracles, and healing uh, together. Then we looked at tongues and interpretation. And then we looked at gifts of service, more um, practical-type gifts. Then we uh, looked at dreams and visions, the the fact that God still speaks in these ways uh, today. And then uh, we looked at distinguishing spirits and the work of evil spirits and deliverance from spirits and all those kind of things. And then last week, we was more practical. We started to look at how do you actually, how do you really go about using these gifts in church. Like there's teaching, clear teaching in the Bible about how to do that. And so we wrestled through uh, some of that. And then today, uh, the subject for today is the role of prophets in the church. And of course, if there are any prophets among us, they would have already known that that was going to be the topic. Uh, But uh, that's what we're doing today. And uh, just as the Bible is clear, you know what, let me me pray. Let me pray and then we'll jump into this. Lord, I thank you you're with us. And I thank you for your word. I thank you for this journey we've been on as a church, looking at the Holy Spirit, looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how you've designed your church to be built and to operate. And uh, God, today, help us land this really uh, well and give us a continued vision for living out the way that you have designed your church to be. Uh, And Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, just bring them in, bring them all the way and help them understand what you've done for them on the cross, that they might know you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So just as the Bible has teaching in it that tells us that the gift of prophecy is super important, also uh, it talks to us about the role of prophets, the importance of prophets. So um, there is a bit of a difference here because prophets are mentioned in the Old Testament. You know, you've got, you've got Moses, you've got Isaiah, you've got Ezekiel, you've got you know, Jonah, that guy, the, the disobedient prophet, right? You've got those prophets. But then uh, the New Testament also speaks of prophets. Uh, they're not quite the same. There is some difference between them, and we're going to look at some of that. Um, but the big point, no matter which testament we're in, and no matter what we're looking at, the big point about prophets is, is that prophets are there to prophesy. Seems simple enough. Prophets prophesy. They bring messages from God uh, to us. And... Uh, just to recap briefly what a prophecy is, but a prophecy, obviously, God uses prophecy to build us up and to encourage us. There is a big part of prophecy that it is predictive, that at times God will reveal certain things about the future to us, or he'll give us guidance on things, or he'll move us in a certain direction through a prophecy, or what some people might call a prophetic word, you know, different ways to, to mean the same thing, a prophecy, a prophetic word, some kind of spiritual insight that you might get. But it doesn't always have to be predictive. It can just be an encouragement. It can just be God uh, confirming the truth, reaffirming things in your own life, or uh, encouraging you, building you up uh, in some way. 
Now, the New Testament is not silent on the existence and the topic of prophets. And so we have to, and just, just to FYI, warning here, I'm going to say the word prophet a lot today. All right, it's just one of those Sundays. It's going to say prophet a lot. Don't worry, it, we'll, we'll get through it together. I, have, I, I rarely, you know, I don't know, I don't often preach on prophets, uh, but I am today. I think maybe I did this one other time and somebody came up to me afterwards and said, you said the word prophet like a million times. So uh, just get ready for it, it's coming. It's already here, talking about the prophets. And um, we, we have to understand this, that Jesus has designed, Jesus has designed his church to operate a certain way. He uh, calls people into different important leadership roles. And it's not for us to pick and choose what we would prefer, what we would like. We have to look at how has the Lord of the universe, how has he established his church and how does he want it to operate? And so uh, we have this first passage here in uh, Ephesians chapter, no we don't, Ephesians 4 verse 12. It says, the prophets are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. And then let's go ahead and jump to the 1 Corinthians 12 one as well. Verse 28, it says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets. It's right there. And the third teachers, etc., etc. These are, should be familiar verses to us. Now, we've been going through, we've been looking at a lot of these verses week to week going through this series. Um, but this is how God has appointed roles in the church. Now, um, everyone today believes that the gift of pastoring, the, the you know, pastors in a church and that the teachers in a church, that those two gifts, leadership gifts, pastors and teachers, every Christian today, I've never met a Christian that doesn't believe that those leadership roles still exist. Do you know anyone? You ever met anyone that denies that pastors exist? I might just vanish in front of you. It doesn't exist anymore. It's word of faith. That's the danger of word of faith, actually. Uh, this is, okay, bad joke. We're not word of faith, don't worry. Um, so uh, nobody denies that uh, teachers still exist today. Um, and so if we're going to accept, you know, the New Testament tells us these leadership roles, they still exist, then we really need to accept all the leadership roles that are given to us, uh, including the role of prophet, that there are people that fulfill this particular role. And we are very clear, and we're going to go through this, we're very clear um, biblical teaching that some type of apostleship, gift of apostleship, has continued since the days of the New Testament, and some type of prophetic leadership, some type of gift of a prophet, also has continued since the time of the New Testament. Now, so I'll spend a little bit of time here talking about both apostles and prophets, and then we'll move on and we'll just focus on prophets. Um, but just to say very clearly, I want to be very clear on this, the original 12 apostles that Jesus chose, they obviously represent a very unique and, and, and um, a very significant, but also very unique place in history, in biblical history, that is, they're kind of irreplaceable in, in one sense. That you'd never have another group quite like that. You know, 12 men that Jesus chose to be his primary disciples that he trained up, that he invested in, that he sent. You know, that's what it means to be an apostle, is that they were sent by Jesus. So we can't replace them. They had a very unique responsibility during that uh, time. But we also learn this in Ephesians chapter 4. It tells us about the risen and ascended Jesus, verse 11, 
So it says that the risen and ascended Jesus has, has gave, it says, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now, what's significant about this is, this, you've got to understand this. It wasn't just during Jesus' earthly ministry where he's like, hey, I'm going to pick these 12 apostles and there's only going to be them. The apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 says that it's once Jesus has risen from the grave and ascended back to heaven, then in that place, in the new age of the church, when he has established his new covenant, his new kingdom, in that position, he is giving, he is giving apostles and prophets. So beyond the original 12, the Bible actually mentions additional um, apostles. So we've got this list here. So Matthias became an apostle. Barnabas and Paul are referred to as apostles. James, the brother of Jesus, is recognized as an apostle by Paul, and he does that in two places. And then Jesus is also regarded as the greatest apostle of all. And uh, keep those verses up for a minute there in case anyone wants to take a picture of that or write down those references. Uh, But we actually have a total of 17 named apostles in the New Testament. So not only do we have more than just 12, because people get confused, they're like, well, there's only 12 apostles, and they're like, well, there's Paul as well, I can't forget about Paul. But people don't realize, like, also James, the brother of Jesus, also Barnabas is mentioned, Matthias is mentioned, and also Jesus as well. Jesus is obviously in a whole different category, all of, all of his own, but uh, we can still, he's still named as the greatest apostle. And so not only does the Bible say there's more than just the original 12, there's actually up to 17, but it also, because it's the ascended Jesus who gives these gifts to the church, the door is wide open for these kinds of pe- people in these kinds of roles to continue throughout church history and to continue until Jesus returns. If Jesus didn't want these gifts anymore, if these gifts have passed away, if there shouldn't be apostles and prophets anymore, then listen, there would be a verse in the Bible that would tell us so. It would be super clear. It would just, there'd be a line in there that would just tell us they're gone. But not only does it not say that, it says the, the ascended Jesus has given them to the church. What's also curious about this are the warnings we have. We're given warnings about false apostles. We've got this little list here, false apostles, and we're told to be wary of super apostles. Man, that's, they got wearing capes and stuff, these super apostles. And also to watch out for false prophets. If there's only supposed to, especially with the apostles, if there's only supposed to be 12 original apostles or no more, you don't need tests for them. You don't need to uh, look out for imposters because you know who are the apostles. You know, Jesus also said, you know, he says about, about these, these prophets here, he says, you know, you'll know them by their fruits. Well, Sure, if there aren't supposed to be any more apostles, any more prophets, why wouldn't Jesus just say, "Yeah, you just there are no, there are none. You don't, you don't, you don't need a test. You don't need to, to test them to see if they're an imposter or not. You just know there aren't any." And so, even the Bible, even the warnings it gives us about how to test apostles and test prophets is another sign and indication these leadership roles have continued. So that begs the question: What does that look like today? What does somebody in an apostolic role? What does that look like? Somebody who is a kind of a modern day, you know, leader in this regard. Well, somebody who fulfills this kind of role is uh, typically involved in starting churches or strengthening churches, bringing the gospel to new areas, kind of pioneering uh, the expansion of God's kingdom in that regard, or at least overseeing those efforts and overseeing that that kind of work. They're uh, oftentimes engaged in international things and those kind of uh, that, that kind of ministry in terms of the multiplic- multiplication of churches and, and the gospel going out to the world. Like that, that's we know that because that's kind of what the the 
original apostles were called to do. So that's how the gift continues on. Uh, in terms of a prophet or somebody in a prophetic leadership role, there's a couple of things that uh, would look like today. Because you might say, what, what does this exactly look like? Well, this is going to be somebody who has particularly more weighty prophecies. So they, you know, they're not just giving general encouragements. They've got perhaps a weightier gift of prophecy. But also they're, they equip Christians and they equip churches to also be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to be more prophetic, to hear from God better. That's kind of how those roles work today. Now, I will say this. These titles, particularly apostle and prophet, these titles have been and continue to be greatly misused and abused. And it, it always bothers me when something great in the Bible gets mangled in some way and kind of gets spoiled in some way. But uh, these, you know, there's people who will, will, will put, you know, on their, their letterhead that they're now an apostle, you know. So it's like, oh, this, okay, this person's now an apostle. That's interesting. Um, and it, it can get funky with, with weird uh, authoritarian impulses. And there, there can be very dysfunctional expressions of, uh, you know, these, these titles can be used for our own ego or uh, in certain ministry contexts to control people in different manipulative ways. And we, we, we see that spiritual gifts can be used that way and also these leadership roles can be used that way. And of course, we're not interested in doing any of that. It's not our practice to use these titles for people who have these giftings. And um, so actually, there's biblical precedent for this as well. So um, the Apostle James... Paul calls him an apostle twice, the brother of Jesus. He's referred to in the Bible as an apostle twice. But James himself, in his book, in James chapter 1, verse 1, when he writes his book, he doesn't refer to himself as an apostle. He just refers to himself as a servant of Jesus. And that's great humility, a great example, depending on the context, depending on who you're writing to, depending on what your relationship is with different people. You know, the title may not help. The apostle Paul as well, in Paul's writings, most of the letters he wrote, he, calls to him, he refers to himself as an apostle. But when he writes to the Philippians, he foregoes the title. He doesn't lord it over them and say, hey, don't you know I'm an apostle? He just refers to himself as a servant of Christ. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, he says he's just a, a servant of Christ. We don't want to be associated with any negative or abusive or dysfunctional expressions of those leadership roles. And so it's not our practice to go around saying, well, have you met, you know, Apostle Ben and Prophet Steve? And, um, you know, because of the stigma attached to that, we recognize that there are individuals with these leadership roles, um, but we're happy just to refer to them by their, their, their normal names. And, and just, just to say this, some people call me pastor, Pastor Matt, if you really want to do that, you can do that. You're welcome to do it. Um, but if you, if you want to ask me, Matt, what would you prefer to be called? Just call me Matt. You don't need to call me pastor. Some people are really, they really want to do it. They're just like, no, it's honoring. It's the honoring thing to do. And I'm like, all right, that's fine. If you want to do it that way, that's great. I don't need the title. I don't need to be called that. That's, that is my role. That's what I do. Um, but I'm happy just to be called Matt. And a big reason for that is people outside the church, you know, it's, it's awkward. If, if you're not used to Christian things and going to church, like, it's just, it's a very strange thing to start referring with a particular title to somebody in that role that you're not used to using it in that way. And so oftentimes out of contextualization and relationship building, um, that's something, you know, I would never introduce, I typically never introduce myself in that way. Maybe very rarely would I ever do that. Um, and if I did, it would probably be a joke as well. Uh, I'd use it in some, find some humorous way uh, to say that. Um, but the Bible uses uh, the word prophet 
in, in three different ways. There's kind of three general categories, kind of rough categories that the Bible uses the word prophet in. Uh, let's put these up. So the first one um, is anyone, literally anyone who has uttered something prophetic, there are examples in the Bible of them just being called a prophet. Second one is uh, spiritual, uh, or people who are influential, so like a spiritual leader who prophesies or does something supernatural. It might be that they're, they're not really a prophet, but they just get called a prophet. All right? And then the third one is uh, official prophets, all right? somebody in an official prophet role, um, those who specifically are called into prophetic leadership. Okay? And you keep those up for a minute there in case people want to look at those references and do further Bible studies. I think somebody recently said, keep the verses up longer. They go away too quick. Um, you can check them out on the live stream afterwards as well if you need to. Um, so these three categories of how the Bible uses the term prophet helps us see that it can be used very broadly or very narrowly. And so, for example, on that first one, um, Miriam in the Old Testament and King Saul are both referred to in some regard as prophets, or at least they, and the prophecies, like, we're not told what they prophesied. We have no idea what they prophesied. It's not written down, it's not recorded, it's not mentioned anywhere, but they're called prophets, and, or at least referred to in some loose way as being prophets. And even Jesus himself, Jesus is referred to as a prophet, and, and you might say, well, that's just because they didn't know who he was, right? Well, there's one occasion where Jesus refers to himself as a prophet, which when I found that verse uh, a few weeks ago, I was like, oh, that's confusing. Thanks, Jesus, for that. You can, uh, you're messing with my brain. Um, uh, but also King David. I think, I, think, I think Peter in the New Testament refers to King David as a prophet. Um, even you know, Simon the sorcerer in the book of Acts, uh, he's, he's referred to as a prophet um, as well. Now, they're not, you know, Jesus, King David, and Simon the sorcerer, like, they're not prophets in the truest sense of being a prophet. Like, they're, you know, especially Simon, right? He's, he's, he's a false prophet, of course. But um, there's something prophetic about their ministries. Obviously, Jesus did predict his own death. He did predict that the temple would be destroyed. He, he was prophetic in that way. But Jesus is not really a, a pro- I mean, he's not really a, a true prophet, um, it's like Moses. Think of Moses. He's the first. Moses is kind of the first prophet in the Bible. But even after Moses, you know, all the other prophets that came, I feel bad saying this, but it's like, you know, they don't really compare to Moses. You know, you can't really compare. I mean, it's just not even fair to make that comparison, right? I mean, he got the Ten Commandments. He was on Mount Sinai. Like, he, he went to Pharaoh. Like, he, all the, he did all the, all the really crazy, gnarly stuff. Like, he had to do all of that. And like, some of the other prophets, they had some big stuff to do as well. But like Moses, man, it's like, it just, so he, he was called a prophet too. You know, it makes me, I guess the power, it makes me think about the remake of classic movies, you know? The original is so good. It's got a real magic to it, something special. And then, and then the remakes, like some of them can be good, but you're like, ah, it's just not like the original, you know? And then that makes me think, hashtag Disney ruins everything. That's also what that makes me think. Um, so there seems to be a situation here as well where influential people or, or spiritual leaders, they, they do something supernatural, something spiritual, something prophetic, and the label prophet can be slapped on them pretty easily as well. And the Bible kind of allow, allows for that as well. So anyone prophesying, spiritual leaders. Um, but then interestingly, Paul, um, he says, when Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he says, when he's talking about congregational prophecy, he's talking about, this is a lot from last week, 
when he's talking about, hey, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Remember that verse? We looked at that verse a lot, quite, quite a few times. Paul says, let two or three prophets speak. And he specifically says prophets. And he says, let the others weigh what is said. Now, what's he talking about in, in this congregational church setting when you're, you're letting prophets speak? That could easily refer to the third category of people who are in a, an official leadership role in that regard. But I think it, I, it could relate to that. But I think it's more likely that it relates to the first category. Where it's, you, Paul's using it in the more general sense where, hey, anyone who's prophesying, he's just using it in the general sense of like, oh, they're kind of fulfilling the role of a prophet in, in, in that moment. And we actually have... Uh, a few uh, examples here of congregational prophecy according to Paul. This is the context and what he calls them prophets. You look at the context, you want, I think you, you can figure this out. So he says, if all prophesy, or you can all prophesy one by one and earnestly desire to prophesy, this is, his, this is the context of Paul teaching the church in Corinth. Here's how you integrate prophecy into the church. And it's in that context where he refers to these people as prophets. And so he's saying, you can all do it. Everyone should desire to do it, you know, all, all of you. And, but then he calls them prophets. So I think we, we, we've got to understand that whenever we're hearing the word prophet used, we have to ask ourselves, okay, what, is the, what does the person mean? Which category does it fall into? Is it just general congregational prophecy? You say, oh, that person just has a, the gift of prophecy. Oh, we, you know, they might be referred to as a prophet. Okay, it's just that. Or is it just someone who's a spiritual leader? Because I've heard this before, like, uh, very well-known church leaders who uh, may be a controversial. Like I've heard it before. Someone, will, I've heard it many times. Actually, people just say, "Oh, that, I think they're a prophet." Yeah, that, that, that leader, they're, they're just a real prophet. Like people just slap it on. Or are we talking about people in a specific leadership role who are recognized prophets? Because we have to understand this. There are individuals in the New Testament who fulfilled this role. So two examples. We got. Judas, different Judas, not the one who betrayed Jesus, different Judas and Silas. Judas and Silas are named as prophets in the New Testament. So in Acts 15, it tells us this. It says about uh, uh, Judas and Silas, it says, who were themselves prophets. And it says that they encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. So they had some responsibility and some level of authority in the church that they visited. They even appeared to be maybe traveling prophets that maybe would go to different churches at different times to bless them and equip them. Um, you know, it's interesting because Jesus also, when he's talking about John the baptizer, John the baptizer is a, a prophet figure, right? More in kind with Old Testament prophets, but Jesus asked the people, like, who do you think John is? Do you think he's a prophet? And he's like, yes, but more than a prophet. Yes, he was a prophet, but more than a prophet. doesn't quite neatly fit into... That, that's where the, the Bible is, is, is uh, challenging sometimes because... Theologically, we try to create these really neat categories for things. And this is the problem with systems of theology is you try to create these really neat categories of things and then you come across a verse that like blows your categories up. And you're like, God, why did you do that? Why can't you just make it really simple? I had this beautiful system that I could tell everyone I created. And you just, well, that's why God does it that way, right? It's to humble us, to say, you know, he's smarter than us and knows more stuff than us. And he's, 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 he works these things out, right? Um, so we've got, there's actually, th- so there's not just Judas and, and Silas that, that are mentioned, but Agabus as well. We looked at Agabus before. So you've got three, three people in the New Testament who the risen, ascended Jesus appointed as prophets to build up and to strengthen the churches at the time. Agabus, 
uh, uh, Judas and Silas. Now, Agabus, he gave a prophecy, it's mentioned in the book of Acts, that there will be a famine. And so the church has responded to this by gathering up resources and helping churches that were in places where this famine either was going to happen or already had happened. I'm not sure if it, if it, um, if it was just predictive or if it was he, they were getting, getting ready for it, if it already happened. I'm not sure exactly. But um, what's cool about this is the role of a prophet, somebody giving such a significant prophecy, predicting a calamity like that, um, really... Uh, caused that the church at that time to be extra generous, to say there's going to be a great need. We've got to take up an offering and respond to this. Uh, it, got them, it got them into God's mission and to serving and caring for those in need. So that's, that's the power and the importance of having somebody who is a prophet um, amongst us, somebody who has that kind of weightier gift, who can hear from God in that kind of way. So uh, Agabus also, the other thing he prophesied that's mentioned in the book of Acts is Paul's arrest. And I've mentioned this several times, but he predicted that Paul would go to Rome and be arrested. And that is presumably to prepare Paul's heart, that Paul would know, like, I've got a trial awaiting me, but God's in it. Like, it's going to be bad, but God's going to use it for his glory. But also to prepare everybody else, all the other believers and Christians at the time, that they would know, okay, Paul's been arrested, but Agabus predicted it. He prophesied it. And we, we know God's in it. Like God's working through this tragedy right now. That's the power of having somebody with this kind of gift, this kind of role, uh, can really help you understand the times, understand the purposes of God. And so God gives prophets to help churches be healthy and strong. We've got this verse here in Ephesians 4 we looked at, we look at the whole, the whole verse here, verses 11 through 12. It says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So not only are prophets going to bring uh, significant prophecies, but they're also going to equip Christians. Because, you know, during this series, so I'm not a prophet. So during this series, I'm teaching on I'm, I'm trying to get across what does the Bible tell us about the work of the Holy Spirit and these roles and how does this all work together. I'm trying to convey that so that we have understanding, so we have clarity, so we can grow our faith, so we get a bit of an idea about how to move in these ways. But you know what you really need to like spark a fire with this kind of stuff is you, you need to get around someone with, with a prophetic leadership gift. Somebody who's, who's got that weightier sense of prophecy and knows how to equip other people. Like like Judas and Silas, who are encouraging the brothers with many words. Like, we, we, you need that kind of gift. That, that's what's going to up the game for us uh, with this. And so the Apostle Paul makes it pretty clear. He even says that uh, the apostles and prophets are kind of foundational to the church. He says, I think it's in Ephesians 2. I'm not sure if we have that one up there or not. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, we do. That the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and that Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. And so it seems like these two roles, these apostol- this apostolic role and this prophetic role, um, that there's something really, really fundamental to a church being healthy and being on God's mission that we need to receive from them. Now, you can't, I don't want to you got to be careful how you interpret the term foundational. Like, what do you mean like that? Do they control the church? Are they you gotta be careful about that? Uh, but I think the scripture's trying to tell us they're really important. You need them. You need them in the church. Um, I think these, all of these leadership roles that are mentioned, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, these, are, these represent kind of like 
authoritative headship roles in the church that Jesus has given these. And you know, there's not necessarily going to be a lot of them. Not every church is going to have these gifts, you know, people with these gifts in them. We, you know, there's no prophet amongst us that I'm aware of that is in that third category of an official prophet, right? Um, I'm not aware of that. That'd be great to have that at some point. And so we need to make room for that and receive that uh, in our church. And we do from time to time make room for that. It seems that in the New Testament, the, the prophets that are mentioned, it seems like they worked in groups as well, which is very interesting. So, very interesting. so in Acts chapter 11... We're told uh, in verse 27, it says, Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And so what this should show us is that, you know, there's a real sense of collaboration in kind of prophetic spirit ministry um, in, these, in these roles that's very different to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you had a lone figure, a lone voice in the wilderness, right? That's what John the Baptizer was. That's what he represented was kind of that, you know, that, that history. But all the prophets were kind of like that. They're all kind of a bit quirky, a bit odd. Um, and they, their messages were strange. And a lot of them were killed for their messages. You know, it's hard being a prophet. People today like the idea of being a prophet. You know, like, yeah, I've got important, powerful things to say. It's like, well, you know, if you, you're going to get treated like a prophet if you think you're a prophet. Like, um, but in the New Testament... We see that there seems to be a strong kind of team spirit, as it were, that, that there's groups of prophets. And, you know, uh, Judas and Silas are mentioned together. They, they were traveling together. Uh, and so there's a whole different cadence of kind of leadership that's mentioned to us in the New Testament. And in relation to apostles and prophets working together, we're told that uh, even that um, prophets will, will deliver instructions from apostles. So that they, there seems to even be some kind of hierarchy there. I don't know exactly how that uh, works. But uh, we're told that in... Um, what, what's the next verse we have? Throw up the next verse we have, whatever it may be. Any second now. In Acts 15, verse 22, um, we're told about uh, Judas and Silas, that they were the leading men among the brothers. So the, these prophets, they're not lone wolves. They're not just you know, odd wilderness people who like to eat bugs and uh, say, uh, say and do strange things. But they were considered to be leading men among the people. They're, these are people who um, had, had tested character, people who were known, people uh, who were trusted. And, and so when we're looking at people in, the, in the, the, the age of the church, the, you know, with the Spirit coming upon the church and Jesus establishing his church, this is how we're looking for the role of a prophet to manifest itself or to show itself or to be displayed and to be used is that people would be mature, that people would be integrated into the church, that people would be, you know, a prophet isn't somebody who just stands away from the church, criticizing the church, but there's somebody who values the church and loves the church and is building the church because they're given to equip the saints to bless Christians. And so they should, the, the, the examples that the New Testament gives us should blow apart our preconceived ideas of a strange lone wolf prophet figure who just shows up and they've got a staff and a dog and some other strange things with them and uh, saying all kinds of, pronouncing all kinds of strange things. It's like, no, these are respectable leaders uh, in the church. And I think, you know, prophets should be people who are well-versed in scripture. And, that, you know, just like teachers should be, just like pastors should be, just like all Christians should be well-versed in scripture. Because this is one of the, probably the biggest criticisms I would have, and a lot, a lot of people have, around prophetic ministries today is that the leaders in them or the people in them 
if they're not grounded in the word, that their, their, their love for the word can be, or at least their understanding of the word can be quite weak sometimes. And because of that, you can veer off into kind of crazy territory and veer off into things. And a lot of Christians don't necessarily discern that, don't discern that there's something a little wonky, a little funky, a little off with some of this. But that's probably the biggest criticism in prophetic ministries today is that, there's, you know, and honestly, you know, there's, there's enough right about a lot of ministries that you say, well, that's good, that's good, that, that, I like that, I like that. But it's, it's you know, it's, it can just, something can just be 5% off or 10% off that's enough to be, to be, to be a problem, to be serious. Um, and so we, want, we should want to see more maturity in those ministries, and we should ourselves as a church want to grow those kind of prophetic leaders and, and, and prophets uh, that, that are mature, that do know the word. Um, and uh, we, you know, we're told not to go beyond the word. We looked at this verse last week, but First Corinthians 14, verse 37, Paul says, that, uh, we'll read it again, if anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. That's, that's why we've got to be grounded, rooted in what has Jesus revealed in his word. Otherwise, we're going to veer off into strange things. And uh, those are some of the biggest criticisms I would have around, you know, a lot of charismatic or Pentecostal movements is you get into funky town, you get into, we're doing, I don't know, prayer tunnels or strange, um, we're doing uh, tarot card readings or Christian versions of tarot card readings, or, which are things that people have done and, and people have practiced, you know. But it's in the name of Jesus, so it's okay, right? No, no, it's not okay. We don't do that kind of stuff. That's not what we're doing. So even though these prophets and people today with prophetic leadership gifts should have a role in the church and should have authority in the church and should be, you know, should be released to prophesy and to equip the saints for the work of ministry, it's important to understand that they do not supersede the authority structures that God has put in the church. And it's pretty clear that the pastors of the church, they have the final authority in terms of governing the church. We don't circumvent authority. But what that means is that means that anyone leading a church or a group of pastors, it means that there's this tension where you have to say we have to guard against false prophets. There are people who want to deceive us and twist things and um, manipulate us. We have to guard against that and be wise about that. But also there are legitimate gifts of prophecy and, and prophetic leadership gifts that we want to receive from. And we, but because we have the authority, we have to intentionally bring them in or raise them up and allow them to operate so that we can be equipped. Because this is the beauty of the way that the church should work is that none of us have all the gifts. So we need each other. We need different people with different strengths and different abilities to all work together to produce the kind of community that Jesus has come to build. So somebody who is in this kind of role, and I can only think of myself, like I probably only know like two or three people who I would say fall into that third category of like, hey, there are recognized, I would recognize them and we would recognize them as a prophet. Um, Recently, we had Travis um, and Steve, uh, Pastor Steve, visited, visited us, um, and I would probably, I didn't know this at the time, but I'd probably put Steve in that category of that kind of prophet kind of role. Um, I just thought he was Travis's buddy, uh, and then I, as I got to know him, I was like, oh, wait, there's something else going on with this guy here, and, um, but you know, somebody in this kind of role, you, if you recognize somebody in this role, that, you know, they've got to have a proven track record, right? There's got to be some kind of external confirmation or validation. You know, so, so it should be a red flag to us, somebody really trying to convince us that they're a prophet and then they, they hear from God and that we need to listen to their words. Like, it, should be, it should be a real red, red flag to us because just, just as you 
you test a false prophet by, by looking at the fruit, and so you're going to see bad fruit, right? You see somebody who's claiming to be a prophet, but they got bad fruit, you say, well, they're a false prophet. The opposite is true, all right? Somebody who you might think maybe they're in this leadership role. Um, they have this gifting, this calling from God. Well, they're going to have good fruit. They're going to have a trail of things behind them where God has produced really good things throughout their ministry, throughout their life. And so it's important to look for that and to ask, are they humble? Do they love people? You know, are they, um, are they submitted to authority? Are they a team player? Like all of these questions to ask and to, to, to give that confirmation, that validation. Because once you realize that, and once you see that, then you can start receiving from that gift because you know there's trust. You know there's good fruit that can come from it. What we can't do is we can't assume that just because somebody has a gift of prophecy that they're going to be in that third category, that, that prophet category. Think about it like this. Just because somebody can use a microwave doesn't make them a chef, right? Just because someone can prophesy doesn't mean they should or are called to operate in that prophet role. This is a leadership calling. And any kind of leadership calling, uh, leadership's hard. There are certain skills that go along with it. There's a certain uh, level of wisdom. Oftentimes people in those kind of roles, oftentimes they're older. They, they, they've got, you know, they've been around the block a few, been, is that an English phrase, been around the block a few times? Uh, there you go, threw one in for you. Every, every so often it comes out. Um, but I'm more, I am more American now than British, anyway, so uh, forgive me for that. Um, but you know, when you grow, up with Amer- you grow up with American movies, you can't help it, you know. American culture's everywhere. Um, but having that, that, somebody in this, in this prophetic leadership role, being tested as a leader, growing in maturity, being that team player. And let me say, if there's anyone here that has a desire or senses that, hey, I have a gift of prophecy, like, great, hone it, work on it. But don't assume that you're going to be in that role. But if you do sense or have a desire for that role, then, you know, it, it's going to take a long time. It's going to take a long time. We want to raise up people into these kind of positions, these kind of, and recognize it. But it takes time to be mature enough and to have that experience. And so the steps are, hey, fine-tune your, your spiritual ears. How can you grow at being more sensitive to the Holy Spirit, being more in tune with what he's saying? Grow in your love for people. Because one of the dangers of having a powerful prophetic gift is that it's about how impressive the gift is. Um, there was a lady actually years ago now who um, had a very powerful prophetic gift. She wasn't didn't you know occupy the role of a, of a prophet, but she uh, had a very powerful gift and but very humble about it actually. But she, um, it was before Princess Diana died, she had this dream and she prophesied that people like the, across uh, the country that people would come out into the city centers and be laying down like bouquets of flowers and putting flowers in the city centers. And she talked about the impact of that and what that meant and how to respond to that. And people didn't realize until after Princess Diana had died that that was. That's what happened. People came out into the city centers and laid flowers. You know, there were like mounds and mounds of flowers that were laid out. People were ro- I remember seeing videos of people rolling in the street crying because they were so distraught over her death. And that was that's a powerful example of a gift of prophecy, but again, somebody not in that leadership role. And so the, the key for us is having humility, really loving people. It's not about my gift. It's not about how impressive I am. It's about do I have a desire to serve? Am I, am I grounded in Scripture? Am I willing to get around other people who are prophetic, 
who, can, who I can learn from, who we can grow together in this and uh, grow our, our gifts? How can I learn to communicate Scripture better or communicate the Gospel better or communicate God's Word better? How can I grow in that? How can I become more useful to God in different ways? Let me encourage us all, no matter who we are, our level of gifting, would you make it a habit to be a prophetic person and when you're in church or when you're in a prayer gathering, when you're in a small group or just wherever you are in the world, to, to, that we would all be more aware and more prayerful and say, God, open up my ears. Open up my ears. Help me see and hear what it is you're saying and doing. Help me see the people you want me to minister to. Help me see the mission in front of me right now. Help me to be aware of it and to be observant of it. Help me to see it. Especially, really value, learn to value our prayer gatherings that we have. We do, I don't know, five or six of them a year. And I know we, we call them prayer and fasting, and that can turn some people away. It's like, I don't like fasting. And I've I got to tell you, fasting is like the worst thing in the world. It's, I love food, too, a little too much. And it's, it's not the worst thing in the world. That's just my flesh talking. But um, prayer and fasting, really value our prayer and fasting times. Those are the, the sweet spot. Those are the moments where we can develop these things, where we can go deeper into hearing from God, where we can exercise um, those spiritual gifts and our ability to um, be a blessing to others and to grow in leadership and to grow in confidence, just growing in confidence in terms of speaking out the things that God has put on our hearts. It's a big step on a Sunday morning to get up and to share a word from the microphone. You know, it's a big step, right? Get, value our prayer gatherings. Jesus was referred to as a prophet. People met Jesus. You know, Jesus meets the woman at the well, right? And she says to him, he reveals to her things about her life, right? Like, you know, the man you're living with right now is not your husband. And uh, she says, I perceive that you are a prophet. Maybe, maybe you've never met Jesus before. What you've got to understand is that he is, he's the greatest prophet in this sense. He doesn't just predict the future, he makes the future. That's why he's the source of all prophetic insights and all visions of what might come or dreams of what God might be doing. Or He's the source of it all because he creates it all. He makes it all. He's, Jesus is God in the flesh come to us to show us what God is like and how to know God, how to be forgiven of our sins. And that's the gospel message. That's what Jesus came to do. That, that it's... The, the act of Jesus on the cross is not just a, a symbolism or a prophetic image of something. It is the thing that all the prophets were talking about before he came. Jesus' death on the cross, that is the biggest fulfillment of prophecy that might ever exist in human history. All the things that the prophets of old were saying were going to happen. This is the salvation plan. This is how God is going to take sin away from people. And it was only Jesus. And it was on the cross and it was for you, and it was for me. And us putting our hope in that, in that prophetic the pr- fulfillment, not symbolism, the actual act itself, the thing itself that takes away our sin. I've got to tell you, the burden of having your sin lifted off of you, there's nothing like that. And that's what Jesus does. He lifts the burden off. He lifts the sin off. He takes it off in himself. 
We want to worship. We want to sing. We want to celebrate what Jesus has done. We want to turn to Jesus, the, the source of all prophecies, the source of all prophetic utterance and prophetic powers, to turn to Jesus today. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you've been with us. Lord, give us a vision for building a prophetic church and for being a prophetic people that we would be those who don't ignore the gifts you've given and especially not those who abuse the gifts you've given but Lord, those who are full of faith and obedience to use the gifts you've given whether they are gifts that we receive or their leadership roles that others fulfill God, I pray that you would give us the vision of the church that you've come to establish, that we would grow into the maturity that you've called us to. Thank you for your life. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Help us worship you, I pray. In Jesus' name.